folks. If you want to be inspired by even more stories about how our identities are shaped by work, you should definitely check out the Work It podcast from WFAE, Charlotte's NPR news source. Can you tell how much fun I had saying WFAE? <laughs> On each episode of Work It, hosts Stephanie Hale and Jill Beers follow their curiosities underneath the job and into complex identities of the people we encounter in our everyday lives. From carpet layers to lawyers to barbers and burlesque performers and beyond, you can gain a new interesting perspective on work and life. You can listen to Work It on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wafe.org slash work it. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups and how they moved on and up to keep creating and inspiring others to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your host, Liz Bohannon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this very special episode of Plucking Up, because it is our season one finale. Before we get going with this really special episode, I just wanted to take a quick minute in the spirit of the holiday season that we are in right now, in the month of December, when we might be thinking about some year-end giving. I just wanted to put a little bug in your ear which is a really gross phrase now that I've actually said it out loud. Um, I want to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations. It is called the Refugee Care Collective. And this is an organization that has been created to serve our neighbors and specifically our neighbors who are resettling here in the United States as refugees. There's a couple different things that RCC, the Refugee Care Collective, does. One is they create these restart kits. So just these like, you know, basic kits with the things that you need to get your life started over because a lot of these friends are really, really starting completely from scratch. And so when they show up in this new country where they don't know anybody and they don't speak the language, they can at least show up to their apartment and have some of those basics and necessities that they need to start rebuilding their lives here. And so when you donate to the Refugee Care Collective. That is part of what your money is doing, is going to help create those restart kits. Another thing that they do is they connect refugee families with existing neighbors. So for us here in Portland, Oregon, to just facilitate relationship and friendship and hospitality. And y'all, I have to say, having now been connected and in relationship with two refugee families, one from the Congo and the other from Syria, I just have to tell you, it's just the neatest. It is such a sweet thing to get to broaden your world and your life and your family and your friendships with folks that come from a very different part of the world and speak a different language and have different experiences and to come together and just learn from one another and enjoy one another. Um, it is, it's so sweet. And so I really do encourage you right now to look up organizations in your city that might be doing something to serve those populations of new families and new neighbors who are settling here in the United States as refugees, because who doesn't want to show up and have a friend, right? Like someone who can check in on you, who can help answer some of those questions. I know that I have found myself throughout my life, <laughs> a stranger in a foreign 
foreigner in different lands where I did not know what I was doing and I couldn't speak the language and I frankly found myself in some pretty scary situations in some of the uh, most beautiful moments of my life. I actually wrote a chapter in my book about this towards the end. It's called Walk One Another Home. Have been where I have been on the receiving end as a foreigner of just being taken care of by someone who knew the lay of the land a little bit more. And gosh, I just can't tell you what a gift and what a blessing it is. And we have the opportunity to do that for one another. So please go to refugeecarecollective.com. And if you are looking for an organization to support, know that your dollars will be very well spent by supporting this organization. And I really do encourage you to look for ways in your own neighborhood, in your own community, where you can be a great neighbor. Okay. I said that was going to take one second and I kind of ran my mouth a little bit. But y'all aren't too surprised about that by now, are you? So this is going to be kind of a different episode because I'm not interviewing anybody and I'm just totally going off script. But I am just so grateful for this experience of this podcast plucking up. About a year ago, almost exactly, a little bit over a year ago, I was launching my book, Beginner's Pluck. And as part of that book launch, I went on a book tour around the United States of America. And oh my gosh, it was so fun. We partnered with the Yellow Co. movement and with the Riveter. And we hosted these beautiful evenings of fun and laughter. And what I did is I reached out to folks in whatever city we were in. We went to so many amazing cities. And I reached out authors, entrepreneurs, um, other podcasters, all sorts of kinds of people. But people that, you know, we would generally look at as like, pretty high achieving people who have accomplished some really cool things. And I invited them to come to this tour and to sit on a panel and to tell us about their (laughs) pluck-ups. And I just have to tell you that when you explain that to somebody, when you say, hey, I want to invite you to this event and I want to put you on a stage and I really just want you to talk about your mistakes and your wrong turns and your pluck-ups. First of all, I'm going to tell you, you get a lot of people who say no. Like, no, thank you. I would rather talk about all of my accomplishments, right? And then you get these beautiful, generous, vulnerable, authentic souls who say yes, and they come. And you guys, we had the best time on this tour. Like, I mean, just think rooms packed full of people. We are rolling and crying with laughter, like confessions being made, pluck-ups being shared. And what ended up happening is it just felt like this kind of collective sense that we're all in it together, right? That whether you are on the stage or whether you are in the crowd, that we are all out here, like attempting to build these lives of purpose and passion and impact. And we're messing up along the way. And I just remember sitting in those rooms being like, is there a way that we could recreate this? Can we, you know, for the folks who can't be here with us, And that is how the Plucking Up podcast vision kind of came to life. I just find that the more we tell those stories, the more we normalize those stories, the more permission we give to one another to go out there, to do your thing, to try to fail, to flail around a little bit. And I'm just so passionate about it because I believe that if we spend our lives avoiding those things, avoiding failure, avoiding rejection, avoiding embarrassment. There is so much you will miss out on 
And I hope that this has become a place for you where you walk away feeling inspired and feeling a little bit less alone. I know for me, in the challenges that I've faced in this year, I cannot tell you how many times I've recalled something that I heard a guest say. This was so difficult because I was like, I'm just going to go pull out a couple like highlights from the season. And it was so hard. I spent way too much time thinking about it and going through, you know, all of the episodes. And I loved so many of them and so much of the wisdom. But there was a couple that really stood out to me that I thought I would share with you. The first that I want to go back to is one of our earlier episodes with my friend Joe Saxton. What struck me about Joe is that she was so generous with us in just sharing about kind of the depth of this really challenging season that she had experienced. I remember listening to her share and thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to resonate with a lot of people who are in the midst of suffering and grief and loss and a season of just plucking up. And I was really grateful for how honest she was. So if you didn't catch that episode, here's a little bit of what Joe shared with us. Or if you did, here's a reminder. <laughs> for a while, I was just in shock, to be honest. I was just in shock. It was just this kind of rumbling through the year and I got I couldn't sleep. And then because I couldn't sleep, I um, stayed up later because I couldn't sleep and I was, my mind was just racing. What about the kids? What are we going to do? What about our lives? What about, you know, and it was probably exacerbated by the fact, you know, this is not where I was born and raised and it had been challenging anyway, but here we were, we'd settled in a place that we loved and then it had all gone. And it's like, why are we doing this? Do you, know I mean? do you just pack up and go home? But you've been gone from home for 10 years by now. When you leave a place and you move to another country or whatever, your parents are getting older you're not going to get to every funeral. I mean, you will do family, but you friend, do you know what I mean? All these things and some devastating things that happened to some friends of ours and all kinds of things over the years. And it's like, you don't rationalize loss because you can't rationalize loss, but you accept certain things because you're not able to be there. But it kind of infuses meaning in the choices that you've made. And so when all those things fall apart, it's like, why did I make those choices? Why did I do that? Um, emotionally and mentally, my health is suffering. And I'm having anxiety attacks in the night, through the night, multiple times in the night. Okay, this is not pretty. This is not working. The only way you build your way through this is to unpack everything, including your coping mechanisms, and rebuild. So if any of that resonates with you, you know, the anxiety attacks and the distress and the, like, feeling just totally overwhelmed, whether it's by things that you're experiencing in relationships, in the workplace, with your vocation, with your identity. If that resonates with you, I want you to know you're not alone. And I would really encourage you to go back and to listen to Joe's episode. One of the things that also really stuck out to me is I just loved Joe's advice to us. I had asked Joe, okay, so if someone's in that moment right now and they're just feeling overwhelmed and paralyzed and stuck and scared, what would you say to them? And this is what Joe shared with us. I think I would encourage you to think through what got you stuck. Sometimes it is the depths of rejection, the depths of betrayal, the depths of loss, and the fear that surrounds all of those things when you're in the middle of it. And I would say it's okay to feel your feelings, first of all. I would say see a therapist if you can and yeah. get some support because you don't have to do this alone. I don't know that I got myself unstuck. I think a community of people got me unstuck. If you're completely stuck, then I think there is a sense of what's the emotional, mental, physical, spiritual things you need to do 
to reboot. But um, it's too hard to do that when you're completely overwhelmed. So who's your support system? And it was friends who I wept with and talked with and raged with. It was the simplicity of hanging with my kids sometimes and us going for walks and playing. It was the therapist. It was the doctor. It was long walks and allowing myself to say, this is where I am. I don't think I'm going to be here forever, but this is where I am today. Joe said something that, you know, she was one of our earlier episodes that ended up going on to be a pretty big theme of season one of Plucking Up that a lot of our guests touched on the theme of community. So many of our guests kind of in their dark moments said this is what ended up kind of pulling me out of that and how they found that community and how they built that community was all really different. I know with Sadie Lincoln, she kind of talked about the importance of her EO network. So that's Entrepreneurs Organization. So it was this network of other entrepreneurs that come to the table and they are committed to total honesty and to total transparency and they share themselves. And, you know, with Todd Henry, that was more with his wife and with his friend group, building a friend group where he really showed up and showed his transparent life and self. And with Caroline Paul, I remember her talking about it being kind of in her like co-working space and this like writer's guild that she was a part of. So for each of them, they had done the hard work of showing up in relationships, of being that friend to other people during those times. And when those times came for them, knowing that there were people in their lives that they could be honest with, that they could reach out to. Um, And y'all, I will just say, so there's just so much shame. There's so much shame in secrecy. And when we feel like we have to hold our pluck-ups and our mistakes and our anxiety and our fear to ourselves, I personally find that they become so much bigger and they have so much power over me. Literally last night, I went to the grocery store, which is my number one thing that I hate to do in my life. (laughs) So maybe that's why I broke down (laughs) because I was at the grocery store. I'm sorry. You want me to put together a strategic plan, go to any board meeting, go to any country. I don't care. I'll do it. I'll have fun. I'll love the challenge. You send me into a grocery store and tell me to come out with like five meals for my family. And what I'm going to do is probably end up in the fetal position. So anyway, maybe that's why I actually broke down. No, but for real, I was in the parking lot of the grocery store and hadn't even gone in yet. And Marco Polo, my five best friends, didn't anticipate doing it. Marco Polo them and just cried the whole time and just shared something that has been on my heart that I felt so overwhelmed and so heavy about. And y'all, even before, even before anybody responded to me, it's so cathartic. And when we allow ourselves to say those things out loud that we're struggling with or that we're afraid of, um, when we let other people into that, I really do believe that so much of the kind of shame that surrounds secrecy dissipates um, and that there's so much freedom in that. It was really, really cool to see how many of our guests kind of had that shared experience. None of us can do it alone. None of us can do it on our own. We all have different gifts and skills and talents. We also all go through different seasons. And that to me is just such like the beautiful thing about like the long haul about community. Like when you build friendships and when you're in it with people for the long haul, they're like, you don't have to keep tabs. It doesn't have to add up or, you know, even out at the end of every day because we just believe that over the course of a lifetime that we're going to give and we're also going to receive. 
wow, this is why we have guests on the show, maybe to kind of keep, <laughs> maybe to kind of keep me on track a little bit, uh, because I also did not anticipate that rift. So here we go. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a whole, maybe we'll have a whole podcast that's all about friendship and community because it's clearly something that I really love to talk about. So Liz Gilbert was our first guest on the show. And I was so nervous. I just want to tell you guys, I smelled so bad. (laughs) Do any of you guys? (laughs) I definitely like put on extra deodorant when I'm nervous because I just smell bad when I'm nervous. It's like totally different than if I'm like sweating because, you know, I'm like working out. Um, I was so nervous about talking to Liz Gilbert. And one of the things that I have just loved about this show is when you get to have these one-on-one conversations with people and they're everything that you would hope, (laughs) you know, just like generous and wise and interesting and delightful. And Liz Gilbert was totally one of those guests. I think she's been my most quoted guest throughout the entire season. I feel like with other guests, things will come up um, and I'll be like, yeah, you know, Liz Gilbert said this or just like in my friend group, I'm like, yeah, Liz Gilbert had this thought. And I do think, you know, that maybe one of the reasons some of her perspectives really stuck with me is because we had some differing perspectives about what it looks like to build a life of purpose and passion and impact. And I loved it because to me, it really was like this reminder that like, we're not talking about a formula. We're not talking about a science, right? We're talking about an art and we're talking about alchemy, right? And so we all have different backgrounds and we have different perspectives and we have different gifts and skills and personality traits and propensity for risk and all of these different things. And so our journeys are going to look a little bit different. One of the things that has really stuck with me about Liz's story, I definitely tend more towards like no plan B, right? Like take the risk, put yourself in this situation that scares you, lock the back door. There's no other way out but through. (laughs) It's kind of a little bit of how I've how I've lived my life of like, I know I'm too big of a scaredy cat. I don't want to give myself opportunities to back out because I, you know, I know myself. I think a lot about this analogy, the difference between like hiking up a mountain versus downhill skiing. When you're hiking up a mountain, every single step you have to like decide to keep going. It's like a constant choice of like, I'm going to keep going up the mountain. Whereas downhill skiing is like, you kind of make this one decision. (laughs) You make a decision to get on the lift. And once you've made that decision, you know, you're kind of forced into something. Like you've now put yourself in a position where you're going to end up on the top of a mountain. And there is only one way to get to the bottom of the mountain. And so you kind of got to figure it out. Well, I happen to be kind of drawn to that technique because again, I think I know myself and I know that like I can have this idea and be super passionate about it. And then I talk myself out of it of like why it's not going to work and why it's stupid and you know, whatever. And if I don't give myself time to do that, if I make the decision to get on the ski lift and then say, you're just going to have to figure it out. I think there's a lot of value in that. But one thing that I loved about Liz's perspective that is really in contrast, I think, to my kind of like no plan B perspective is, you know, she did have a plan B and being like, I know how to make a living 
and take care of myself and be really frugal and live a good and decent life and work really hard, I can make that work. And actually, I can enjoy it. I can do that. And there is this like security for her that came with like, I always have a plan B. And so that led her to this entirely different perspective where her passion, writing, her craft, she had all of this freedom and all of this flexibility to not make it have to be the thing that like supported her to make it be the thing where she got, you know, her sense of like purpose or identity or fulfillment. You know, she receives deep creative fulfillment from getting to do that, but it didn't have to be her livelihood. I had a thirst for wanting to be published, but I didn't have a thirst where I was like, if I don't get published, I'm going to not be able to support myself financially because I'd been taught to not spend money. So I was really frugal and I'd been taught to work hard and I'd been taught to value menial labor. And that meant that I could get jobs anywhere. And I liked those jobs. So I felt like I was in a waiting game with the publishing world where, you know, they'd send me these rejection letters and I was like, that's all right. I have all the time in the world. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a really good bartender. Like I'm saving money and I'm working as a waitress and a bartender and I'm writing my stuff. And one of these days I'm going to break you people down. Like that's truly how I felt about it. I didn't feel, it kind of used to make me laugh. I remember getting a rejection letter from Harper's Magazine one time and laughing at it. I remember laughing at it, but not because I thought they were stupid not to publish me, but because I thought it was literally adorable that they thought I might stop. You know, like, it's so cute that you guys think I'm going to stop doing this just because you don't want it. <laughs> like, this isn't something I'm doing for you. This is what I do. You know, this is just what I do. I mean, I just love that kind of pluck. I got a rejection letter and I laughed, not because I thought that they were stupid, but because I thought it was cute that they thought maybe I would stop. <laughs> that is literally what I aspire to. Like someone who isn't giving other people their power in that way of just saying like, this isn't necessarily about you. And so I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep sending you my stuff and I'm not going to spiral. I'm not going to tell myself stories. I'm just going to keep going. Okay, and this next bit from Liz really touched me. Um, it's about forgiveness and humility and mercy. And it feels really human and really raw and really important for how we think about ourselves and how we think about how we're going about existing in the world next to others. And I just wanted to share it. Another thing that you can become is more compassionate to to people who've made tremendous mistakes that they feel they can never be redeemed from and be able to stand in your own unforgiven mistake and share the human dilemma that that person is in with a level of real empathetic understanding. You know, there's something about mercy. The word mercy comes to mind. Mercy is something where I feel like two people are standing in their shared pain of their shared human karmic dilemma and the difficulty of being a person and they're recognizing each other's situation and saying, yeah, I've been in that too in my own way and I know how hard it is and I wish you well, you know, like that's mercy. And I think having made mistakes that you cannot fix is an invitation for you to expand 
your own capacity for mercy for other people who've made mistakes that they cannot fix. Our next guest, oh gosh, I just laughed and felt so happy about this episode with Morgan Harper Nichols. Morgan and I have known each other, I think maybe for like a year or two. And we've, you know, spoken at the same conferences. And so you kind of get these like backstage sweet moments where you kind of start to build a friendship. But I learned a lot about Morgan on this podcast. And it's so funny because the first time I met Morgan, I was at a conference where I was giving the opening keynote talk. And I looked out into the audience and I recognized Morgan because I followed Morgan on social media. You know, she always wears hats and she has like a very distinct, you know, like hat vibe. And so I definitely noticed her in the middle of the crowd. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's Morgan Harper Nichols. And of course got nervous. So I'm like giving my keynote. I happen to look up while I'm speaking and Morgan is looking down. I can't tell what she's doing, but it kind of looks like she's like on her phone. And I didn't like think that much about it because, you know, I'm speaking. I'm like mainly thinking about getting words out of my mouth. And I glance up again and I see that her head's still down and she's like still on her phone. And then now it becomes like kind of an insecurity of like, oh, my gosh, I'm like so boring. And this person that I admire so much, like, doesn't care at all about what I'm saying. And I just want you guys to know, like, (laughs) if you're not someone who gets up and speaks on stages or who's like seen as a leader, I just want you to know that these are all thoughts that are going through our heads, like these insecurities, these questions, whatever. Maybe there's some people that aren't, but I just feel like I'm a fully normal human. So anyway, did it like crush me, destroy me? Did it ruin my talk? No. But was I kind of like insecure or bummed about it? Yeah. And then I go backstage and Morgan walks in and we start chatting and she's like, I'd love to show you something. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I just loved what you shared this morning. And it just like totally spoke to my heart. And while you were talking, I made some artwork and I just wanted to know if you wanted me to share it with you. And I was like, what? And she opened up her iPad. So she was not scrolling Instagram. She was on her iPad. And for those of you who don't know Morgan, she makes poetry and beautiful art. And y'all, she had created probably 15 beautiful pieces of art that had quotes from my keynote that morning. One, I was just blown away. It was so beautiful. And to see my words in her art and in her handwriting was such a gift. And it was also such a good reminder to me of the stories that we tell ourselves, right? That we tell ourselves certain stories. And a lot of times it's just creative fiction that we come up with in our head with the limited amount of information that we have. And so often they're negative stories that we're telling ourselves about what people think or don't think or what happened and how they intended it or whatever it is. And we walk along in our world and in our life just carrying those negative incorrect stories because we don't get those beautiful moments where we're like, oh, that was really what was going on. That's what was happening. And so I loved that moment of just knowing Morgan and who she is as an amazing human, but it's also just such a reminder to me to check myself. So by the time I met her, I was like, oh my gosh, she's already so famous. She's so accomplished. She's so talented. And she shared with us on the podcast that it was only like a year or two before I had met her and she was already at this, you know, like mega status. She was 
really struggling in life. She was struggling creatively. She was struggling with her identity. She was struggling financially. The closeness of that, of just like, oh, just a few years before I met you, you were in a dark place. And then I met you. And by the time I met you, you were like famous and successful. And to me, it was just like, oh, it's such a reminder that we have no idea. Y'all, we have no idea where people are, what their stories are. And it's such a gift when we ask and when people share and when we get this more well-rounded picture of where we've all been, where we're going, the highs and the lows. I decided to kind of become more of an artist and I ended up getting a record deal and all of this, I did all of it because I was like, well, that's going to give me the opportunity to write songs. I was like, To me, that felt like the perfect culmination of all of it. I was like, that's the poetry, that's the music, that's the art. It's all the things I love to do, but I don't have to like do so much of the other stuff. That was what was driving me. And the thing was, is I never got there. (laughs) I never got to the career as a songwriter. And honestly, like it's, it broke me emotionally (laughs) and financially trying to make that work. And I think that that's where like the regret started to come in and like the sort of like, oh, wait a second, what the heck am I doing? Like, like maybe I've been on the wrong path all along. <laughs> like maybe I'm not cool with seeing everybody else my age find their thing and find it in this industry, in the music industry. And then here I am giving my all and I'm not getting there. One night I was home by myself and November and I just started bawling my eyes out and I was just like I'm a failure (laughs) this is not how it was supposed to go and I don't know what I'm going to do next and in true Morgan fashion I wrote a poem about it and the poem begins and says when you start to feel like things should happen better this year remember the mountains and valleys that brought you here and I wrote that in November 2016, and it was that following January that I ended up finding out it had been repinned on Pinterest over 100,000 times. And it was through that that I saw, I was like, you know what? From that time period, from November to January, I, I hadn't stopped feeling like a failure. But as it turns out, there's 100,000 people out there who can relate to it. To me, that was like, okay, I don't know what to do that. I don't know how to turn that into a business. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I do know that's a significant number of people. It's yeah. certainly more, pe- more people than people who bought my album. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a lot of people. But the thing that really kind of helped me at least get with the rhythm of it was that I just started, I literally just started to read the dms and emails that i was getting about that poem and they were a lot of them were from teenagers a lot of them were from young women who were 10 years younger than me and they were saying things like look i don't know who you wrote this about i don't know who you are but this relates to me and where i'm at thank you for saying this thank you for sharing this can you can you say something about this and i was like i don't know maybe i'll try (laughs) so really 2017 became the year where I was just like, let me just try some stuff. And it was all just inspired by the actual responses and feedback that I was getting. That was all I was going off of. The funny thing about it too, is that when I stopped trying to make the music thing happen, 
now really cool stuff is happening with it. Mm. Um, I ended up like literally once a day, I get a message or an email. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you had an album. I'm listening to it right now. Wow. I love it. And it's just like, yeah, this isn't, I'm not getting an email from the Grammys. that's like, hey, you've been nominated. But for me, it's just like, oh, it still has a purpose. Like, yeah, even again, if it's just one person, like it's not, you know, in, in music play numbers, one person a day is not a lot of numbers. <laughs> but to me, that brings me so much peace. Yeah. You know, if one person likes something that you do and then you say that it's wasted, like you're not, you don't want to say that person mm, is wasted. Girl, yeah. We don't want to say that. It's like, no, their story's not wasted. We would never yeah. want them to feel that way. So, like, let me not feel that way about my work. I think that last bit with Morgan, I think, is what I hope for this whole show. Again, that you feel the freedom to just experiment and to try and to fail and that you feel less alone, less broken, less especially ill-equipped or doomed to fail. I hope you walk away feeling like you kind of have this little plucky group of friends that are cheering you on, that have been where you're at, that can't wait to see where you're going. I will tell you right now, I feel like I've admitted this to you guys. Like I'm doing this podcast for me too (laughs) because I need it and I need these reminders um, and I need to surround myself with plucky people who are wise and whose wisdom is hard won and who have different perspectives than me and that have had different highs and lows. I mean, we've had some folks here on the show where it's like their lows were like, whoa, that's so bad. Like for some folks, it's been these acute moments moments in time where it's like, I really made this mistake by doing this thing wrong. And for others, it's whole seasons that just felt where they felt demoralized or lost or where they stayed in something that wasn't healthy or right for them, you know, for longer than they feel like they should have. Um, So it looks different for each and every one of us. And, you know, honestly, I think that's been one of my pluck ups as of late. I think in this stress, in the hardship of 2020 and you know just like leadership and doing stuff in the world can feel so daunting and it's so easy to feel like you're just constantly letting people down or you're like constantly missing the mark I remember this was probably maybe like six months ago in my I meet with a group of women every Wednesday night been doing it probably for gosh maybe eight years now Um, And I just never miss it unless I'm out of town. And then usually I FaceTime in. It's a really important time for me. But my friend Miriam was talking about an author. I believe she was talking about Jonathan Safran Foer, who talked about how we as humans almost always like our default is going to be that we're going to measure ourselves in the distance to perfection. Like here's the goal Where am I at today? And what is that gap between what I could have, should have, would have done? And how it really takes work for us. But as humans, if we can get to a point where actually our default is that we are measuring ourselves from where we would have been if we never would have tried. Where we would have been if we didn't care at all. Like where we would have been if we never would have put the effort or even had the awareness or desire to do this thing right or better or to make something or to bring it to life. And I really do feel like 
as humans, we can become so crippled by that. And I think a pluck up of mine would be that I have. I felt discouraged and crippled by the sense that perfection is so elusive and it's so far away and the world's problems are so big and we just like can't ever fix all of them. And instead being like, okay, well, what if, what if for a minute, instead of focusing all of our energy on that gap, on that distance between where I am and where I could have, should have, would have been, and instead try to focus on how far we've come and the distance that we've made and how we've learned and grown even through the challenges, even through the mistakes, even through the pluck-ups, even through the rejections, like that those aren't actually detours. It's not wasted time. It's actually part of it. Like it's part of us becoming more of who we were made to be. And in those moments, when I'm feeling discouraged, I don't remember that. And then I pull myself out of it. And then, you know, you move on and you get forward momentum and it's easier to look back. But I think part of my personal growth journey and one thing that I'm really going to concentrate on in 2021 is to have more presence and awareness to in the moment, like thanking that disappointment, that failure, that mistake, um, that rejection, whatever it is, thanking it and trying to hold a sense of um, gratitude because I know that it is a part of the journey. All right, y'all. And with that, we are wrapping season one of the Plucking Up podcast. There'll never be another season one of this show. And I'm so grateful for you. If you have listened, if you've downloaded, if you've rated, if you've reviewed, if you've shared it with your friends, if you've started a, um, oh gosh, what was it? Somebody sent me a DM about, I think, a plucky running club. I'm just so grateful for you and for your support. And I would love to hear from you. Love, love, love to hear from you. So feel free to email me at Liz at Liz Bohannon. That's B-O-H-A-N-N-O-N dot co or you can shoot me a dm on instagram i'm at liz bohannon um i would love to know and if you have hopes dreams thoughts about season two guests that we could have on the show topics that we could discuss that you believe would be valuable to you inspiring to you that would serve you that would make you feel less alone i would love 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 to know about those things and i love hearing from listeners so please don't hesitate and if you want to hear me run my mouth even more you could always consider getting involved with Seiko. That's my day job. Uh, That's where I spend a lot of my time and energy. Seiko is a socially conscious lifestyle fashion brand. We make beautiful products, apparel, handbags, jewelry, footwear. These products are made by artisans, incredible, talented, beautiful people all over the world who are treated with dignity and who earn a fair wage while they make these products. And then they're sold here in the United States by Seiko Fellows. So these are folks who in their own communities are hosting shows, they're using social media, their Facebook, their Instagram to sell the product, to earn an income and earn other awesome stuff like trips and retreats and summits and gatherings and we just really do have the best time so if you're looking for a way to earn a flexible income and to make an impact i would love for you to consider you can either host a trunk show that's super easy it's like a one-time deal you invite your friends we'll connect you with a Seiko fellow they'll tell you all about the product they'll help style your friends and answer all your questions it's just really fun and then you earn free stuff. You can earn a lot of free stuff, free Seiko by doing that. Or consider joining our community as a Seiko fellow. Earn an income, make an impact. 
we'll get to hang out a lot. I'd love it. So thanks again for all of your support and for continuing to show up for yourself and for others. I appreciate you. And until season two, stay plucky.